Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Right, press record, isn't it? It didn't record. You know that could have been the first time we'd have ever had a cock up. Yeah? You know. The first time we've ever had a cock up. But the first time we've ever had a cock up that's resulted in not having an episode recorded. Not the first time we've ever cocked something up, because as is well established, we cock stuff up all the time. The first time we've ever cocked something up that I recorded and you not having a show recorded for this show. Yes, yes indeed, for this show. Yeah, absolutely right. Everything else I've been on, we've had to do stuff again. Yeah. So, anyway. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. We did it. We did... Hello, everyone. Last week and this week, we just went slower. We calmed it down. Mm-hmm. We chilled out. We just said, hi, how are you doing? Let's relax. In for another fire. Smooth. We're very jazz-tinged. Oh, we? Tonight. What have we done this week? Oh, we watched Jurassic World. We did. It's not comic book related, though, is it? So, moving on. <laughs> no, you didn't like it, did you? I didn't. No. Okay. I thought it was alright. If you've seen the other three, you've seen this one. Yeah. And I thought some of it was a bit questionable in its gender politics. Right. In that Chris Pratt's just, I'm the dude, dude, and he doesn't change at all during the course of the film. Well, no one changes. Uh, well, she kind of did, but she kind of had the same art that Sam Neill's Alan Grant had in the first film. Yeah. He hated kids. Through the course of Jurassic Park, he learns to quite like kids. I, I, it wasn't exactly like that, though. No. She was just ruled off as a bitch yes. for, 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 this is for what, needing to, this, to this, rule a theme park full of dinosaurs. This is what I'm, my the gender politics were slightly confusing. Yeah. Because her arc was, she doesn't like kids, but you're a woman! Yeah. So you have to like kids! Whereas Alan Grant's arc was, you don't like kids, but that's okay, because you're a man. I, I get it, that um, she she should be there for her family, but I think ruling a theme no, full, family. Of, full of man-eating dinosaurs is a bit more important. They're, than... they're her nieces. Yeah. It's, you know, I can, I can go months without seeing my cousins. Years! Even yeah. in this era of Facebook. So, you know, so I thought that was a bit... It was an alright movie, though. It was entertaining enough. Your sister loved it. I wanted more T-Rex. Yeah, he only came out at the end, didn't he? I got hyped up when he was coming out, and it was very short-lived. It was a bit, yeah. It was alright. I don't think I'll be in a rush to see it again. No. To be honest with you. But anyway, yeah, so that was Jurassic World. That was our review of Jurassic World. Yeah. You can always tell how much we enjoyed a movie by how long we talk about it. Mm. Winter Soldier, 30 odd minutes, no problem. <laughs> Jurassic World, what was that, five, if that? Probably. Yeah, alright. Do you have a look at some emails? Tom Panneries has emailed in. Woo! Supergirl, many happy returns. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Tom. I've just finished my massive binge listen to all the episodes of Hey Kid Comics I had fallen behind on, and I wanted to write in one more time to talk about your Supergirl episode. Peter David's Supergirl series is one of my favourite books 
of the late 1990s, early 2000s. I picked it up as it came out, and while I thought that a number of the storylines that David wrote did drag on a little too long at times, it was a fun, often engaging book. It's a shame, then, that this wasn't completely collected in trade, and probably won't be, due to Dan Didio's obvious scorn for Linda Danvers. I personally always wondered when David found out that the book was cancelled. Was it before or during this storyline? Part of me wondered if it was before the storyline and he did this whole continuity headache of a story as a way of throwing his hands in the air and saying, well, if they want Cara Zor-El, I'll give them Cara Zor-El. Thankfully, it was well written, even poignant at times. I Well, we said that in the show, didn't we? That the yeah. ending didn't feel like the ending that For we were story. going to get yeah. at the beginning. So I get the feeling that the hammer fell halfway through... Or maybe not even halfway through, but yeah. long enough for him to be able to do something about it, but short enough that that's not what he had planned. Because mm. he has talked on his website about his plans post that issue. Right. And he wouldn't have had plans post that issue if he'd known going into that that yeah. that was going to be the end. He was going to have it be Cara Zarel and Linda and somebody else, I can't remember who, were going to be like a prototype Birds of Prey. The three girls were going to yeah. wander the earth like Cain from Kung Fu. Right, okay. and get into trouble and at the end of every week they would wander off to some tinkly tinkly piano music of sadness right I assume so he wouldn't have had that plan if he'd known the book was going to be cancelled yeah and I I certainly felt from reading it this time that the ending didn't suit the story mm. so but that's just my I, I don't know that for definite I haven't done any research on it Tom continues, Fallen Angel by the Eight Away was a series worth reading, at least when DC was publishing it. There were many, many hints that the main character was Linda Danvers, although the book was cancelled before the question could be answered. And then David continued the series for an independent publisher. I don't remember which one. Another great episode, as always. I'm going to do my best to stay on top of things, especially as you guys wind down a spectacular podcast run. All the best, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom. We are, we've not really thought about it, have we? No. We've not really thought or discussed or anything. We're winding down now. We're not winding down, we're, we're getting faster to, oh, we're the, to the finish line. Yeah. We've got the last three planned. Yeah. We know what we're doing for the last three. Mm-hmm. There's still a little bit of limbo as to what's going to In between through. now and then, because you've not actually decided when you're going. It's not, I've not decided, it's just I don't know for definite. I've had two different dates. Right. One of them might have been a placeholder. Right. So if uh, if you're going on the latter of those dates, we have to come up with two more episodes. Yeah. Whereas if you go on the former of those dates, those two episodes will never be. There they'll be no. they'll be unwritten scripts <laughs> for a show that was cancelled. Yeah. Like uh, I'm sure there are Star Trek scripts like that. I don't know. So we're not winding down. We're winding up. We're running. We're sprinting for the finish. Yep. There will be no slacking off here <laughs> as we uh, cruise. To th- I think we've got some great stuff. I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah. Next time on um, Absolute Batman and Robin. Come on, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, before we get to all of that, though, Robert McDonald has emailed in. Blue, yellow, grey and fisting like they did last summer. <laughs> Fist and shout. Andy and Michael just finished the Iron Fist podcast and it was another superlative effort. Love the show, Steve. To me, Danny seemed like another attempt at a Batman clone, but with a sharper costume and looking like 1970s era Chuck Norris, sans beard and body hair. Seriously, Chuck must have started the whole manscaping movement. Just look at him in the Bruce Lee movie Way of the Dragon. I'd rather not look at (laughs) Chuck Norris, to be honest. I almost said Chuck Dixon. (laughs) Nothing against Chuck Dixon. Uh, my only exposure to both Danny and his hetero life mate Luke Cage was through the various crossovers or team-ups they both had with Spider-Man whilst I was growing up. I liked both characters, but since I grew up in a very small community in Newfoundland, I couldn't really follow either. 
I like the cap parallel you guys drew with Luke. It fits and matches how he got positioned in the Avengers during Benson Benson's run. Why can't I speak tonight? Bendis's run. I also looked into the ether and saw you guys covered the Lobe Sale Marvel trilogy of colours and dove in and loved all three. But I felt Spider-Man Blue was the strongest. It resonated longer, and the whole story felt like it was written with not just affection and nostalgia, but love for the characters. Not surprising, since Peter has always been an everyman for many fans, and holds a special place in their heart. I like Daredevil Yellow, but it seemed, I don't know, hollow to me. It was interesting to see a Matt Murdock that didn't hold the weight of the world on his shoulders, but a man who was more focused on righting the wrongs in his own world. Hulk Grey, however, I think is where we differ. I enjoyed Sale's covers. They captured the Hulk's nature quite well with him raging and bellowing. I enjoyed the notion that this was a frightened and confused monster who was caught in a circumstance he didn't comprehend. All he had was certainties. Betty needed protecting. He was the strongest there was. Rick was his friend. Ross was his enemy. Seeing the Hulk try to understand this was very effective, and I think a good counterpoint to Bruce's therapy with Samson. I do agree with your assessment that Ross had similar certainties in his life and the Hulk was the one element he couldn't understand, so he essentially made him more of a monster so he could fit it into his worldview. Of the three series, it's my second favourite. Look forward to Multiversity and whether I should buy it as a trade. Robert in Calgary. Well, it's very interesting that he should bring up the Loeb Sale Colours trilogy. Right. As it was very recently announced that Captain America White is about to come out. Mm-hmm. None more shock than us, <laughs> was there? There was not. When we when uh, Mike Bailey pointed us towards that announcement on the on the face of book. Being in comic book limbo yeah. for years. So, when we do Hey Kids Comics has risen from the grave... We have to do that. We have to do Captain America Just White. like Captain America White rose just, from the grave. Just like Captain America... I, would, I didn't think that would ever happen. Yeah. To be honest with you. Still waiting for Grant Morrison and Jim Lee's Wildcat. We are still waiting for that. And we're also waiting for All-Star Wonder Woman by Grant Morrison. Uh, no, that was... Adam Hughes? Yeah. By Adam Hughes. Well, what was Grant Morrison's Wonder Woman pitch? That's because, that was just a graphic novel. Oh, right. Which has now become the Earth One line. Oh, so that is going to come out then? Yeah. Wonder Woman Earth One. Oh, it's one. done. It's finished. Oh, right. So it's just not been announced yet? Yeah. Right. Okay, fair enough. P.S. Oh, P.S. I like P.S.'s. In reference to your question about whether Luke found out about Jessica's crush on Peter Parker, Luke found out during Dark Reign. Peter had revealed his identity to his Avengers teammates, which included both Jessica and Luke. It was then Jessica mentioned her crush. Peter didn't even know about it. He only remembered her as Coma Girl. The teasing of Luke came soon after, but I don't think it lasts long. All right, so that explains... Yeah. how that occurred thank you very much for that Robert we very much appreciate it Michael Bradley has emailed in he is the host of Superman and Batman your two favourite heroes in one podcast together hey guys I'm a little behind but wanted to drop a quick note say how much I thoroughly enjoyed episode 31 god that's going back a bit isn't it oh it means season 4 episode uh, 30 so that could confuse a stupid person <laughs> couldn't it which featured your coverage of Peter David's Supergirl's swan song, Many Happy Returns. I have little to add to your coverage, and you said virtually nothing in the episode with which I disagree. So, good show. Just hearing you guys talk about the story reminded me how fun and heartfelt it was, both of which, as Andy said, have been largely absent from DC since. Nearly all of David's run on the character is a high watermark, not just for the character, but for DC at that time. So I'm happy it's got some podcast love. It's a shame it hasn't gotten more from DC throughout the years. As an aside, Peter David had a blog post where he talked about his plans had the book not been cancelled, which I believe we just mentioned. Alright, so Peter David here basically says when he told when he started on the story, he was told that Kara would only be in it for six issues. And he'd hope support for the series would carry on. 
and had it carried on, oh, they would have brought Power Girl in. Right. As well as Supergirl Blue and Supergirl White. All right, that makes uh, that makes sense. It sounds quite interesting. So, uh, sounds like it would have been quite good had the boot continued. Uh, thank you very much, Michael. Thank you for that link. Uh, that was useful, wasn't it? Especially after we'd, uh, we'd just talked about it. Anyway, we'll knock it on the head there. All the other emails seem to be about multiversity, which we only finished wrapping up last week. So, uh, we're a bit pressed for time anyway this week, so we're going to move on after these commercial messages. Hey listeners, it's Ryan Daly here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told or retold or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Batgirl, Blackhawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, The Legion of Superheroes, and a hundred others. But I won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories. I'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemable guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community, such as Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish I thought of it first, but it's in good hands. Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars. I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero, and they wouldn't be too far off from the truth. But there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman, so I went for my number two, which was which was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the, the enthusiasm to talk about Halo, because this <laughs> is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans, so <laughs> I, I figure I'm, I'm pretty much required to do my, my, uh, you know, my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals. Siskoid from Siskoid's blog of Geekery and the Hero Points podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the the history of comics, and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of, uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these because Roy Thomas wrote um, you know, half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and brought Golden Age heroes to, the, um, to our attention in the 80s, which was when I started reading comics. And, of course, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water podcast. The plan was, all this time, once we finished Who's Who, we were going to do the Secret Origin series. That was our next game, our next uh, big project. And you have swooped in and stolen it, and I'm just saying, you better not screw this up. I mean, you're on episode four, and you brought in your biggest guest star yet. But from here, if it's just downhill, I'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea. Mm, I wasn't really listening to any of that. 
plus more incredible guests, including Sean Engel, Chad Bokelman, Kyle Benning, Nathaniel Wayne, Paul Scavito, Greg Araujo, Tom Paneris, Doug Zawissa, Aaron Moss, Alan Middleton, Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Supergirl, and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific, and Snap The Secret Origins Podcast. Welcome back to part two of our look at the saga of the alien costume. Part one was, unusually, last week. It was. Weird that, isn't it? it our yeah. two-part stories work. We should have a break in between. We should. We should have swapped them. If you'd have been late with Multiversity yeah. 2, and he very nearly was, I'm lovely not. listener. I can't believe you ever doubt me. You'd finished it on Wednesday morning, dude. That's better than me usually finishing it on the Thursday morning. <laughs> and me just having to post it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you almost got Alien Saga Part 1, and then <laughs> Multiversity Part 2. Should have done it like that. Yeah. It up a bit. Just to confuse people. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been quite amusing. Anyway, Part 2 of the Alien Costume Saga continued from the pages of Amazing Spider-Man into Marvel Team-Up issue 145 and Peter Parker issue 94. As Amazing Spider-Man issue 256, which we covered at the end of last week's show, ended on a cliffhanger, these issues presumably take place in, around, or before that one. Taking place afterwards would kind of spoil the cliffhanger. I think you will agree. Marvel Team-Up has Spider-Man join up with Iron Man to clash with Black Lash in Cleveland. That's still a stupid name. As usual, for Team-Up, there has to be some contrivance as to why the heroes meet up. And in this case, it's the 26th Annual Convention of Electronics, Engineers and Innovators, which Peter is covering as a photographer. And Iron Man is also in attendance in his civilian guise of James Rhodes, plugging his new company. That's pretty much it. The story's really more concerned with Blacklash delving into his backstory and fleshing him out a little as a character. It's a surprisingly good issue, but there's very little in it that relates to the overall black costume arc. Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, is in the middle of Al Milgram's run and, as mentioned last episode, is a bit of a slog to get through. We're still deep into the Kingpin Black Cat answer story, a really boring era in the book's history, and this isn't any more interesting than prior issues. There's a fun scene with the costume where Peter uses his ability to sneak up on Mrs. Muggins, who is snooping on Peter, but for the most part, big yawn. Back to the main plot. Amazing Spider-Man issue 257 has a rather simple looking cover of Puma pounding on Spider-Man as they both plummet past a skyscraper. Good, but not one of Frenzy's best. What do you think? Yeah, it's good, but it's not one of the best in this story. It's not one of the best in this collection, let yeah. alone one of the best pieces of work that Frenzy has done. No, no, you're absolutely right. There's no cover copy on this one for them to cut off in the trade paperback. Mm. So that was nice. Yeah. I want to know why Puma's costume's a different colour on the cover than it is in the actual issue. Oh, yeah. wonder why that would be. Just no communication. Could be. Uh, between the editor and the colourist and the colourist of the inside of the book. Beware the Claws of Puma was written by Tom DeFalco with art by Ron Friends and Joe Rubenstein. Puma moves in on Spider-Man preparing to make his kill when the Black Cat arrives, kicks him in the head and prevents this comic being called The Amazing Dead Man. DC Comics probably has the rights to that title. Reluctantly, Puma swings around to tackle the cat, but his leap is mistimed and he slips, smacking his head into the cornice. 
Confused, he examines the cats closely, noting a strange aura around her. When he attacks again, he misses and the aura glows. Puma turns to take it easy, but the road beneath him collapses. The cat, satisfied her bad luck power is fully functional, grabs the injured Spider-Man and they take off to his apartment. Puma manages to follow them. He decides not to press his attack, however, after all, he's not been paid to kill the cat, and she seems to be the far more dangerous adversary. Besides, he has Spidey's scent. He can find him any time he wants. Puma retires to his hotel to refresh as the Kingpin receives word that the Rose has put a contract out on Spider-Man's life. The Kingpin is not impressed and lets the Rose know this. Puma, however, has already left to complete his contract. He arrives at Peter's apartment to see the Black Cat leave, but in a spectacularly bad piece of timing, Mary Jane arrives. She's all about having fun with Peter as Peter's spider sense kicks in. He pushes MJ out and summons his costume mentally as Puma crashes through his window. They clash ferociously, the confined areas of Peter's apartment working against Spider-Man. Puma manages to scratch Spider-Man's back and is surprised by the costume's makeup. Spidey takes the fight outside as MJ bursts back in to see an empty and trashed apartment. Puma and Spider-Man continue to battle. Spider-Man tries to web Puma up, who is surprised once again that the webbing appears to be organic. They crash through a window into a gym and equipment flies around with one weights machine falling through a nearby window and plummeting towards the crowd outside. Spider-Man leaps to prevent it hitting civilians and manages to web it, and whilst he manages to prevent it hitting the floor, the weight pulls him off the wall and he crashes into the roof of a nearby bus. Puma, preferring a straight fight to all this sneaking around, takes his leave. The issue is then tied up. The Rose calls off the contract, but Hobgoblin offers the Rose a deal. A deal that may free him from the Kingpin's clutches. Peter returns home to Murray Jane, who tells him that she can't cope with knowing that he's Spider-Man. Big end into this one. Was it though? Yeah, it was. That was a big end at the time, that. Okay. So you're kind of like, well, Murray Jane's always known, aren't you? No, I was more of, well, where did this come from? She's always known. Did you not read the last issue in this trade that explains it all? I, I didn't. It's entitled Clarissa. Right. Explains it all. Okay. You're totally not going to get that. No? But yeah, that's all about Murray Jane. It's an odd issue to wrap the trade up with. Yeah. To be honest with you. But that does explain the whole Murray Jane backstory, should you be interested. Uh, it did feel very much like Tom DeFalco was furthering the Black Cat subplot here, far more than Al Milgram did over in Peter Parker. Yeah. Where it's moving... At a very slow rate. Very, very slowly. Which may explain why Peter Parker was really boring. Yeah. I quite like the black cat stuff in this, though. It was fun. Yeah, she is. She's good in this. There's the stuff that we learn, you know. We learn about the aura relating to the powers and flashes, whenever it works and, and such. The, my thing with this, it was a real shame to come back and read this now. And read this version of the Black Cat, who is a little bit loopy. Yeah. And a tad childlike. Yeah. But in comparison, what, what's been done with her character in current issues of The Amazing Spider-Man. Right. It was quite nice to go back to this naive young girl. Okay. Or woman, I suppose, at this point. Because in the current comics, she's just a... She's, she's snapped. Right. She's psycho. Fair enough. And it's a real disservice to her character. So I'm, I'm not really a big fan of what they're doing with her at the moment. Uh, it is setting up that the, the cat's relationship with Spider-Man's not going to survive much longer. I think they split up in Peter Parker issue 100. Yeah, they uh, split up by the time Web of Spider-Man 1 starts. Yeah, because that takes place a couple of weeks later, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of, in Marvel time, I don't know how many it's, uh, how many months, weeks, whatever it took in real time. Uh, Puma leaving because he's not being paid to kill the black cat was funny. 
And smart. Yes, and, and very smart. I, I mean, it does only serve to pause the story. Yeah. That's the only reason that it's there. But on the plus side, if he thinks she's more dangerous, mm. and she's stopping him from reaching his goal, and he's not being paid to deal with her, why yeah. not just wait till later? Well, Black Cat's got more smarts about the black suit than Peter does. Yeah. The secret identity stuff's most interesting, that she doesn't even look at him when he's not got his Spider-Man costume on. Yeah. It's a bit kinky, that, isn't it? Could be. Yeah. But who 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 she attracted in? Spider-Man. Peter or Spider-Man? No, she doesn't give a toss about Peter Parker. Which is... She says? Yeah. So, it's one of them, he kind of shouldn't have revealed his secret to her, really, but, you know. Whatever. Uh, black costume plot point. On page six, the costume doesn't want to flow off his body. Mm. Hmm. Do you think that's important? It could be. I think it's important. Uh, the pages where Peter tries to push Murray Jane out of the door with his spider sense blurring is textbook comic book tension. Friends draws lots of small, narrow panels to heighten the drama of the scene. I thought this scene was really exciting. Yeah. Because the way he's just got lots of long, thin panels as he just basically, Peter eventually just gives up and chucks her out of the room. Mm. And then later learns on this didn't need bother, she knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if she did know, then why is she like this then? Yeah, why... Mm. So this is what I meant, it came out of nowhere even in the issue it was written in. Oh, what's going on in there with all that racket? What could be happening to Peter? Oh yeah, I know you're Spider-Man, I was just lying. <laughs> so she, it doesn't actually contradict what she says later. But I would be interested to know from Tom DeFalco, I wonder if it's in that comic collector's on Spider-Man book I've got. I would be interested in knowing when he decided... She should know. That she should know. Yeah. And where he came to the conclusion that she'd known since the beginning. That's my problem with it. That it was since the beginning. Yeah. It's a, it established in an issue of Untold Tales of Spider-Man that she saw him sneak out of Aunt May's house yeah. to go look for the burglar that killed Uncle Ben. Right. So she's known from the very beginning. Yeah. And that's my problem. I don't mind her knowing at this point. Yeah. And I don't mind her having... I would have preferred her having worked it out which would make her smarter mm. as a character than she just saw him come out of the bedroom. Yeah. Because you and I have discussed numerous times on the show there are any number of issues... Where she could have worked it out. you could look at that as a clue that that's where she started figuring it out. Yeah. That Peter's Spider-Man. And if you'd gone back through the issues, you could have, you probably could have done a... Kurt, Kurt Busiek right. would probably made a really good job of picking out yeah. issues here and there where that was a clue, that's where Murray Jane started figuring it out. Mm. And you can then establish that that's why she turned down his proposal. Right, okay. Back in 1977 or whenever it was that she quit the book. Yeah. If she knew that he was Spider-Man, but he didn't know that. Yeah. And I think that would have worked much better than just a blanket. Oh, she's known from the beginning. I don't. I don't like that. I don't because it doesn't work. It's an easy way to write. Yeah, it's an easy retcon, isn't yeah. it? Instead of going back and doing your homework and your research. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Muggins already thinks that Peter Parker's kinky because of the black cat. Mm-hmm. What's she going to think if she sees Puma? Because where is she while all this is going on? She shows up for rent at every available opportunity. Yeah. But a fight in her apartment building that trashes the window and the room. And they're not quiet while they're fighting around in the apartment. Yeah. She doesn't show up. Maybe she's out. Just on this one occasion, she's not in. Yeah. That was lucky, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh, Puma's reaction to the costume leaping towards Peter 
on page 13 is pretty damn cool. Yeah. Because, well, his reaction to all of it is really cool. Because yeah, because he's, he's working things out yeah. that Peter doesn't know. Well, it's also as well, Peter's just not thought about it. No. He's just rather stupidly accepted this alien costume from this alien world and this alien machine that yeah. he got the wrong one. So, so scientist Peter Parker doesn't experiment. No, or scientist. Pe- yeah, scientist Peter Parker's not immediately come home and gone. Let's have a look at this costume, shall yeah. we? But no, yeah. So Puma's actually sat there going, "Wait a minute, this looks quite cool," and he does seem quite surprised by the costume's composition when he scratches it. Mm. So you're getting a lot of of different clues as to what's going on. Uh, and considering that this wasn't planned when they went into Secret Wars, yeah. I think DeFalco does quite a good job with it. I, I did get quite a bit bored of the Puma, though. Sounding like a broken record. With my heightened senses. <laughs> I can see our costume with my heightened senses. My heightened senses should have told me about that. Oh, even my heightened senses can't match your self-healing costume. Puma says heightened senses. Take a drink. <laughs> yeah. uh, page 16, panel 4, is the cover. Yeah. It's not even a redraw. Right. Is it? It's exactly the same. Yeah. Implying that he drew the cover and then just shrunk it down for that panel. Yeah. So Friends was ahead of the curve, though. Yeah. Wasn't well, he? With the right colour scheme. Well, well, with the correct colour scheme, yeah. He's ahead of his time mm-hmm. in just re- reproducing a panel. Yeah. And saving himself some time. <laughs> or he drew that and thought, that's pretty good, that, and blew it up to be the cover. Could be that as well. Yeah, either way, it works, doesn't it? I'm quite impressed with it. Um... Crucial moment where Puma analyses Spider-Man's webbing. He tells Spider-Man the webbing is organic. This surprises Spider-Man, mm. who's, as you've pointed out, gave no thought whatsoever <laughs> to the compositional makeup of his costume. I was 12 when this came out. I had to ask my granddad what organic meant. Right. So there you go, another word I, I learned from comics. Yeah. Learn a lot from comics. You do learn a lot from comics, yeah. Uh, the scene where Spider-Man stops the table from falling. Is it a table? No, it's a weights machine, isn't it? Yeah. I got it right in the synopsis. I got it wrong here. He stops the weights machine from falling is brilliant because it's often ignored in movie versions, apart from the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, right. which I loved. Something gets thrown out the window at him. It's just out the window. And he, yeah, they just ignore it in the, the films, yeah. don't they? In, in that cartoon, he turned around, webbed it back right. so it didn't fall into the street below, and then he used it to smack somebody in the head with it, right, okay. which was brilliant. And I like that, because there's so many times in the films, mm. there's debris raining everywhere, and you're thinking, Spider-Man would stop that from happening. It's yeah. one of the few good bits in Superman Returns, isn't it? Weird. When he turns on his back... Right. And uses his heat vision to stop all those bricks oh, yeah, yeah, that are yeah. falling from that broken building into the crowd. Mm. I like that bit. And I like this here. It was really good. The final fight is really very tense. Well orchestrated by friends. Well written by DeFalco. It's low key by today's standards. No one gets the teeth knocked out. Yeah. You know, like every other panel in Civil War. <laughs> which was a close-up of somebody's jaw going, blah, 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 and a tooth flying out. Yeah. Which is just like, piss off. <laughs> but it's frenetic and exciting and uh, quite an enjoyable fight scene. I did want to know where Peter Parker got the money from to pay for that cab. Yeah. Given that the costume enveloped him, he was wearing nothing but his boxer shorts. Maybe the costume created money. So as soon as they drive away, that money's just going to yeah. ooze out of the car back into the costume. Yeah. And that cabbie's got no money. Yeah. 
And Peter's excused from that because he doesn't know that that's what's happening. It's an easy way to get stuff out of a vending machine. <laughs> Put your semi-card into it, <laughs> you get your food and it comes back out. That's very true. Yeah, alright, fair enough. That's good, no price. Yeah. So all this time Peter's been paying for stuff with no money. <laughs> yeah. He's going to miss that. Why has he got no money then? Because he's not been costing him anything. I know he's not. Well, he's had the costume. That's good, that. I like that. Uh, the black costume stuff's outclassed by Murray Jane's revelation at the end, which was a big deal. Reading these on the stands. Mary Jane knows who he is. Yeah. You just have to take my word for it. I, I was just more, since when? It, to me, it didn't really work. I'm not entirely convinced it worked when I was 12. But it was a big deal anyway. But it was a big deal. As a... Something. I'm totally <laughs> convinced it doesn't work. Like I said, I don't mind her knowing, but... There's just so many places you can go back in yeah. those old issues and go, there's no way she knows he's Spider-Man though. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Either that or she's a complete biatch. Could be. And she's trying to blow his secret identity. Ah, a really good issue. Really enjoyable. Much better than part one. Yeah. Which did feel like a bit of a way to wheel spin it. The subplots take a back seat and freed up from constantly updating the reader on those events. Oh, he's fallen out without May. Oh, his yeah, photos yeah. out selling at the Daily Bugle. Oh, Black Cat's got this bad luck power that he doesn't know anything about. This is much faster paced. Lots of good advancements regarding the costume, but the MJ revelation is what stole the show at the time, and it was another great cliffhanger to a really good, solid, entertaining issue. I think we said last time, none of this is, you know, the best it's ever been, but, you know, if you're 35p every month, yeah, you are getting your money's worth. Good, solid, entertaining comic. What did you think of it? Still not a big fan of the Puma. But I no. think he works a bit more in this issue, but only because they dumb down Peter. You think? Yeah. Do you not think that's a subtle piece of writing? What are you like when you're really tired? I, yeah, I You're guess. sluggish, aren't you? You're yeah. not firing on all cinders. You're Say lethargic. Yeah. And I think that's what they were doing here. Peter's just knackered. Yeah, okay. And that worked for me when you read it in that vein. Yeah. Puma's better in this issue because all he does is fight Spider-Man. Yeah. And that's all he's here to do. Yeah. So it works better. Because they're not trying to lay it... Like I said, Chipuma never became anything interesting anyway. Um, I don't think anyone would pick him as a classic Spider-Man villain. Because mm. he is just warmed over Craven, isn't he? Yeah. So... Alright, fair enough. The other October-dated Spider-Books continued their own stories, for the most part. Marvel Team-Up issue 146 saw Spider-Man join forces with Nomad, the Jack Monroe version, but it was the interaction between Peter Parker and Monroe that made the issue. I would have liked to have seen Peter remain friends with Jack. In fact, I'd like Peter to have some more male friends his own age. Yeah. Which he doesn't seem to have, does he? Where's Randy Robertson? Where's Flash? Where's Harry? In all of this. Does he not just go out and hang out with his mates anymore? They're all doing drugs and... No, Harry's married at this point. Oh, He's married it? to Liz Allen and they've got little Naomi. Right. Little, little, oh, no, they've not had Naomi yet at this point, have they? Then they have it later. She's pregnant they? at this point, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. They have Norman later on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mixing up my chronology, though. Um, not really anything in relation to the black costume saga, but solid entertaining issue. Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man issue 95, however, is just more of the same, and the same is very, very dull. Al Milgram continues to overpopulate his stories, with this issue now featuring Cloak and Dagger, Silvermane and the Rose, in addition to Spider-Man, the Kingpin, the Answer and the Black Cat. It's so crammed, there is a laughable 
genuinely laughable page devoted to the current subplot. And all it is, it's one page where each current subplot gets two panels each. Right, okay. You've got Flash Thompson and Shah Shan. Then right. you've got Aunt May and Nathan. And then you've got the Daily Bugle. And then you've got a black cat bit. And then it's on with the plot. Okay. And it's like you could rip that page out of the issue. <laughs> and and it would not matter. Yeah. It was basically Al Milgram going, oh crap, I've got to shoe on all these subplots in. <laughs> I know, I'll do it in a really organic way. Oh no, screw that. I'll just do a really badly written page. It was awfully bad. Absolutely terrible. Um, there was also a Marvel team-up annual number seven, for those that are interested, that saw Spider-Man Alpha Flight become involved in a, a Doctor Strange-style adventure. It was unusual seeing Alpha Flight not being drawn by John Byrne. Yeah. But it's, it's not a bad little annual. It's perfectly entertaining. Amazing Spider-Man issue 258, cover dated November 1984, has a magnificent cover. Friends channeling... John Senior in that face and Ditko in the Spider-Man and Ditko in the Spider-Man he's, he's a perfect synthesis of both isn't yeah. he in many ways that's what I really liked about his artwork no copy to blight it just a great image of Peter being torn apart by his two different costumes before a Starscape background loved this as a kid love it now mm. brilliant isn't it yeah it is it's one of those that's been used in almost every time they've done the black suit story yeah, yeah that's, that image is in the 90s cartoon isn't it yeah I can't remember if it's in Spectacular I think I, it is I'm not sure if it's in Spider-Man 3 but I don't remember much of Spider-Man 3 Spider-Man 3 is not as awful as people would have you believe not as good as 2 no or 1 yeah in that respect but it's not as awful it's not as bad as it's not as bad a film as says Superman Returns yeah which it's kind of on a par with. Mm. But I think it's a better film than Superman Returns. Uh, the sinister secret of Spider-Man's new costume, which is very Silver Age Superman. Yeah. Title. More than Spider-Man, isn't it? Opens with Mary Jane confirming that she's known his secret for years. The tearful admission is interrupted by the Black Cat, making it pretty damned hard for Peter to deny what MJ is saying. Mary Jane leaves and Peter turns to prevent the cat from doing the same, webbing her to him despite not wearing the costume. Peter is concerned that the alien being can still do this, even in civilian garb, although the cat interprets the action as a gesture of love. Foolish woman. Peter's like, what the hell just went on? She's like, oh, Peter, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, oh, you do love me, and Peter's uh, yeah, like, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this costume's weird. The next day, Peter calls Mary Jane and refuses to answer, preparing instead to run away again. Peter hangs up and, pondering his recent life choices, falls asleep. And as he sleeps, the costume cloaks him and takes his body out into the night. Still asleep, Peter dreams. He dreams of the two parts of his life colliding and being torn apart by the traditional red and blue and the newer black suit. The black suit returns him home just as he wakes up, feverish and sweating. He decides that the time is right to finally have Reed Richards examine the costume. Elsewhere, subplots happen. The Rose and the Hobgoblin and all that gubbins goes on, but for us, the really important stuff is over at the Baxter building. Reed runs a battery of tests, and as they await the results, Spider-Man and the Human Torch chit-chat. Reed returns with results that shock Spider-Man. The costume is alive and attaching itself to Peter both mentally and physically. It needs to come off now. Aware of what is transpiring, the costume clings to Peter, refusing to budge until Reed blasts it with a sonic blaster he just has lying around because he's Reed Richards. He then traps it in a container that Reed can program to resemble its home world. 
This leaves Peter without a costume, or indeed clothes of any kind, and as such, the Human Torch whips up an old Fantastic Four costume and covers Peter's head with a brown paper bag. The Torch drops Spider-Man off in Queens, where he is unlucky enough to be involved in a bank robbery and utterly humiliated by his costume, which of course the Torch has put a Kick Me sign on the back. Dejected and alone, and to the tinkly tinkly piano music of sadness, he wanders home. Later, Mary Jane drops by to talk, but in the Baxter building, the costume hungers and slowly draws up its plans for revenge. Friends does something really cool with the spider signal image on page one, which, as I mentioned last time, has made a comeback while he's been uh, drawing the issues. Traditionally, it's red and blue, when it used to be on the covers that Ditko, uh, the splash pages, sorry, that Ditko did. Uh, whilst the black costume has been uh, ongoing, it's been black and white. For this issue, it's coloured red and black, mm. which I thought was a really nice little subtle touch. Yeah. I liked it, but I liked to it. To show the two costumes. Yeah, to show the two costumes and kind of encapsulating the story. Yeah. The, the war of the two costumes. I loved it. I thought it was really good. Absolutely brilliant. I'm glad that he's brought that back. Actually, I really do like that. Long-time readers have been kind of aware that the cat-spider-man relationship has been doomed for some time, and this pretty much confirms it, as we mentioned in the synopsis. Peter shoots webbing to prevent the cat from leaving in his civvies, which is the important part of the scene. She thinks this is because he cares more for her than Murray Jane, but Peter doesn't really give a toss about the black cat. Yeah, so he's far more interested in how the costume did that. Which, you know, not a relationship that's going anywhere. <laughs> I think I, I just like how we flowed with it. Just, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, it's just, oh, yeah, yeah, that's totally why I did it. Want to go to bed? <laughs> and then when they're finished, I'm off to read. Mm. He's terrible, boyfriend. He is. Absolutely terrible. The art on this page, do you not think it looks like a lot like Bagley? It does look a lot like Bagley. Yeah, page, oh, they've took the page numbers off in the trade. Just for this one issue. Oh, it? you know, one, two, three, four, page five, yeah, the Thomas Fireheart page, where we basically just learned that the contract was cancelled, so yeah. we left. I love this one-page subplot, and that's it. Yeah. Because I w- after our conversation last time, you know, I went through this. Right. And saw where you could make edits to make it just flow. And this is one of them. And one of the things that I thought you could cut out of this is the Hobgoblin storyline. Yeah. And yeah, you could lose... Please, at the page 20 of the last issue, you could lose page 21. Because this page wraps up human story. Yeah. So you could completely cut out that Hobgoblin page, and then you could lose the splash page to this issue, and it picks right up where it left off. So there's a number of places you could have edited this, although having it finish with the Murray Jane issue is really weird. I guess it just wraps up the Murray Jane subplot. It does, but it also introduces the Hobgoblin subplot that kicked off, or carried on the Hobgoblin subplot that was the next issue. Mm. So without the Hobgoblin wrap-up, it feels incomplete somehow. Because comics weren't written for a trade paperback yeah. at this point. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was alright. Uh, I do want to know why Mrs. Muggins, once again, has nothing to say about Peter's apartment being trashed by spandex fetishists. She's still out. <laughs> so when he's boarding up the window, she's not going to notice that, is she not? Although I think it has been established before that Peter's apartment is around the back of the building. Yeah. So, it's entirely possible she should come home from being out... And not see it. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. Your no price still stands. I, li- I like how Peter's clothes are all black and white. Clever, that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Very Even subtle. if he's wearing blue jeans. I'll just blame it on the colour print. It's though. black jeans. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. In the same way that Superman has blue hair. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's flat jeans. There you go. Officer Fragging Lee. Superman fighting for the alternative musician. <laughs> Superman's a punk rocker. Yeah. <laughs> That's not quite like that idea. Uh, dreams in stories are always interesting because writers always use them to psychologically, psychologically, sorry, analyse the hero. Mm. And they normally are a portent for what's going to go on in the future, aren't and they? And you can usually give the artist a chance to breathe and experiment. And, and go wacky, yeah. in many ways. In this particular one, we can see Peter working out the events of the last few weeks. Like like Michael said, like you said earlier on, it does seem like Peter's a little bit dense. Mm. And now his subconsciousness is working it all out, because he's just so tired. When he wakes up and says, oh, what a weird dream, can't make heads or tails of it. Your two costumes are fighting over you. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what could be the psychological underpinnings of this dream. Mm. Um, my my thing with it was I do like. Obviously, the dream is symbolising the clash between the red and the blue and, and the black because he's not been able to devote the time to it. Blah blah blah. Uh, but Peter still sees himself in the dream as the gawky teenager he used to be, which mm. I thought was a really nice and subtle moment until. We get to the scene where he wakes up and he goes, and I look like I did in high school. And I was like, oh, Tom, you were doing such a good job. Because without that line of dialogue, that's brilliant. Mm. Peter still sees himself as that gawky teenager, even though he isn't anymore. Well, it's that's when he became Spider-Man. He, yes. He wasn't black costume, he was the red and blue. Yeah. Or red and black. But I, I interpret that as he still sees himself as the, the geeky teenager. Oh, okay. That was my interpretation of it. And kind of reinforced by that line of dialogue that we didn't need. Yeah. I read it more as he, he started off wearing the red and bl- uh, blue, that Spider-Man, not the black and white. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I suppose it works both ways. I like the art, though. Just the top few panels. What, where he's running away from the black costume on It's one? one big panel. Yeah, as he runs through the six panels or five panels or however many yeah. there are. Yeah, it's good. He wakes up and notices the costume moving. He doesn't notice that he woke up in bed in his underwear, despite the fact that he fell asleep on the chair in his living room in his bathrobe. Yeah. That would seem to me to be a pretty big clue. It could be. Unless... Peter just thinks, oh, costume carried me to bed. <laughs> oh, that's sweet, <laughs> And the costume sat there going, <laughs> You keep thinking that. The costume's going, uh, yeah, yeah, you just keep thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Baxter building stuff is absolutely fantastic. I always liked it when Spider-Man would just drop by the Baxter building. And uh, it's nice to see Spider-Man and the Human Torch being much friendlier at this point that it would have been in the early days and just having them hang out and chat was fun mm. which this version of the Torches and Spider-Man's relationship would get followed up on a great deal wouldn't it mm. and including what Dan Slott's mini what was that called I'm with Stupid oh, that five remember. issue miniseries where he, from different points in their careers which uh, is actually quite a good miniseries which I don't think I have issue four of right I've got four issues of it and I think I've got one two three and five mm. I think. I may have one, two, four, and five. I don't know. I'd have to have a look. But I know I'm missing an issue of it, which, you know, is a bit upsetting. It isn't Herbie the robot. It's Hubert the robot. The other H- Herb, Herbie and Hubert? Yes, apparently so. What, what, what was up with Hubert? Hubert? For God's sake, I forgot his name. Herbie. Yeah, what was up with Herbie? I don't know. I don't, maybe has he blown up at this point? Has he... He, he blew up. I think Franklin destroyed one. Right. You know, when he had one of his mental episodes, I could sh- I could swear Franklin blew up Herbie. 
Right. So, Reed being Reed, obviously had another one in the cupboard. Yeah, of course. And he just brought it out and dusted it off and <laughs> gave it a different name when he reprogrammed it with a USB stick. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. Was it not like 15 floppy disks? <laughs> Yeah, he put, he put Windows 95 on him. <laughs> no, Reed would be an Apple guy, wouldn't he? You think so? Yeah, yeah. Reed's tech's very Apple. Yeah, he's very white labs. Yeah, he likes his... And that's, you know, Herbie and Hubert, totally Apple technology. Of course, yeah. In my, in my opinion. That's how, where Reed gets his money from. The from Reed Apple. pod. Right. In, no, in the Marvel Universe, Reed invented the iPod. Okay, the <laughs> four pod. <laughs> That actually works. Yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. For music, for you. Yeah, absolutely good. Um, Reed Richards mentions here that the costume is a symbiote. Mm. I was listening to a podcast called Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. And on that podcast, Trentus points out that that is actually incorrect. Right. A symbiotic relationship is one where two life forms join together for mutual benefit. Okay. Like the trill in Star Trek. She's got a big slug in her belly. Right. We're, and the benefit between the two of them is that big slug in Dax's belly means he gets to travel the universe, whereas a big slug, he's kind of just stuck in his slug pit, isn't he? Okay. And she gets the advantage of having three, four hundred life years of experience, even though she's only 25. Okay. So the two of them have a symbiotic relationship that mutually benefits both parties. Even though there's a slug thing inside Even though there's a slug thing inside of her, yes. Okay. Yes, well, we overlook that bit <laughs> right. when, we, uh, when we talk about uh, the trill. But what the suit actually is, as Trent has pointed out, is a parasite. Yeah. Because it's leeching off Peter with no actual gain to Peter as a host. What would have happened to Peter had that continued to leech his life energy? Would he have just been left a skeletal husk? Well, he does have... He does benefit from it in the short run. How? Um, he gets benefits from the costume doing stuff that his cloth costume can't do. Well, yeah. And there is little things, like it morphs into clothes for him, but what benefit is it to him as a person? In Well, that's what it is. It's in the short run. It's the little bits it can do. Hmm. He's just tired all the time. But that's in the long run. In comparison to other tellings of this story... Mm. which we'll get to when we get to the end. Anyway, thanks to Trentus for pointing that out, because that was one of those... Of course! Yeah, but it's forehead, still referred to commonly as the symbiote. Yeah, it's too. commonly referred to as the symbiote. It'll make it right, though, does it? I guess so. So, does it come from DeFalco getting it wrong here and everyone has just referred to it as that ever since? I guess, because it is just the name of it. Yeah, it is just called... Well, you'll notice throughout these entire two episodes I've never referred to it as that. That was because of that. Yeah. Because uh, he's, he's right. It's a parasitic relationship, not a symbiotic one. Yeah. He's absolutely right. Uh, Reed says the suit can be contained in an environment that mimics its home world, right? Yeah. How does Reed know what his home world is? How does he know where that is? The Beyonders planet was a patchwork planet. Remember, he kept referring to it as yeah. that because he's Jim Shooter and he's not <laughs> subtle. And it was made of bits of lots of different worlds, wasn't it? Yeah. If you cast your mind back to Secret Wars. So the suit could have come from any of a number of the worlds that made up the patchwork beyond the planet. So how does Reed know where the patchwork planet got that chunk of Earth from? Yeah, because we know later on where it comes from. Yeah, we know from Planet of the Symbiotes in the Clone Saga. Yeah. But Reed doesn't know that at this point. Maybe he just assumed. Maybe he just tells Peter that, and all he's done is basically lock him in a room. 
yeah. and said, you know, I don't care about you. I'm going to analyse you later. I'm going to pull you to bits. I'm going to gut you like a fish to see what makes you tick. Oh, hi, Sue, darling. <laughs> Reed's actually evil. He, he, well, just like Apple. He looks friendly. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's an evil face under all there, that. There is that, An yeah. evil face that ignores his wife and his family. Yeah. And, and just sticks his head up Tony Stark's ass. If we do it like that version, though. <laughs> I, I mean, although it's much preferable to 12-year-old Reed. Yeah, from yeah. that trailer from Before Jurassic World. God, that was a bad trailer. It looks trailer. terrible, yeah. Isn't it? Is that the worst cast superhero movie ever? Only oh, just on a blanket ground level level. Yeah, it is, isn't it? it? I mean, you can look at certain things and go, maybe Kate Bosworth wasn't well cast in Superman Returns, but you know, Spacey was all right and Langella was all right and everything else. Mm. So all right, and maybe there's a couple of other instances of Chris O'Donnell a little bit old to be Nightwing. Possibly. Yeah. So that casting let the side down a bit. But on a on an intrinsic DNA level, every single one of that cast just looks wrong. I didn't mind Sue Storm. Far too young? Uh, but they're all far too young. Yeah. Even as an Ultimates version, they look wrong. Yeah, it's just... I, I can't get past the casting of all four of them. Before somebody writes in and complains, <laughs> I'm watching it, and when it first came on, and they, and they said he's Doctor Richards, and I'm looking at that kid. Yeah, going, he's not Reed Richards. But anyway, we're not talking about that because I've got no interest in seeing it. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got no answer to that. You got no no prize explanation for that. No. Obviously, it can live in an Earth environment. Yeah. So why Reed felt the need to even say that? He maybe, just program an Earth environment into maybe it. Maybe you could have just assumed. It was Battleworld. Yeah. Although, as we said last time, uh, it's it's good luck that it doesn't. It's not allergic to water because Peter just washes it for no reason. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, all right, fair enough. It does seem funny in uh, this day and age, where comics companies seem to consider secret identity silly and stupid. Yeah. That Peter goes to great lengths here to hide his face when uh, when they bleed the costume from him. And I would have thought that of all the people he could trust mm. with his secret idea, oh, certainly with what he looks like, I would have thought Reed and Johnny would have been up there. Because well, they now, wouldn't have known his name. Yeah, but even now they, they don't know it. Yeah, they do, they do again. No, have they made that? Mm. Because they did. And they they went, did. They went to that alien planet together. And then Brand New Day retroactively meant so, nobody knew. Yeah, because didn't they say, I remember knowing your face, but I can't Yeah, but see I can't it. remember it. Yeah. And then suddenly I think they know again. Right, okay. So it's like, what, what did you do that for? Then? That <laughs> makes no sense. Just, just stop it, Dan. Please, let someone else write. <laughs> uh, following on from last week, from the conversation that we had last week, apparently Peter does carry his camera around in his underpants. <laughs> <laughs> because it falls out of his, uh, his pants here. It's quite a small one. What, his camera? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad that's what we're talking about. And uh, Johnny's like, why would, why would Spider-Man need a camera? Well, obviously, he's keeping it his undercrackers, so he's he's obviously doing the 1985 equivalent of um, Snapchat. Could be. Hey, picture of my cock! He's saving some pictures for his grinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe there's just Snapchat. I like, I like dressing up in uh, black leather. I like dressing up in Fantastic Four costumes. Throwing, throwing guys around my room. And putting a bag on my head. <laughs> These issues release, 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 sorry. These issues reveal an awful lot about Peter Parker's sexual preferences they, they that do. perhaps we don't want to know. 
Put the bag on your head. <laughs> okay. In my experience, people prefer seeing the back of my head. <laughs> I was in the office it the was, other day. Yeah. It was funny. <laughs> the bag robbery seems funny. I have no idea how that bag stays on his head. Webbing. He doesn't have any. He sticks it on the inside. Oh, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have any webbing. He doesn't have any web shooters, so... He does keep pulling it down. Yeah. Which is, is fun. I didn't like this because it's the, the amazing Bagman from the PlayStation 1. Yes, <laughs> yeah, well, the, this this scene is, um, is has, has become quite infamous, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, in addition to the amazing Bagman from the games, yeah. it was also a variant cover, wasn't it? Mm. In, uh, wasn't it a toy as well? It may have been a toy, I don't remember. But it, it was definitely a Mike Waringo variant cover for, was it for the other? Uh, or Brad yeah, Gay. It, was or, it was around that era, wasn't it? Because they did variants for every version, including Spider-Man. Yeah, and Sam Bagman was in which which Spider-Man games it in? It was one of the PlayStation ones. Was it Enter Electro? Or was it that era? Or was it the movie era? No, it was that era. Right. Because we had all of them, didn't we? We, we did, had all yeah. the Spider-Man games. Entry Electro is still the best one. It's, yeah. Entry Electro was the The first one scares me. Why? We have to go into the sewers and there's the oh, lizards yeah. and the, the venom. Lizard. Mm. And on the end with the Kernish Doctor Octopus, that gave me nightmares. Yeah, oh, we loved them though, didn't yeah. we? We played all of them. They were really fun. Especially that one where he would web on clouds. That, that was both <laughs> of them, yeah. Passing pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I do think you let the torch off quite lightly with this. Um, he, he'd get him back later. Yeah, well, that's what I, mean. I don't remember if he ever did. And certainly Stan Lee would have had him just prank the torch right back for this. Yeah. But And I do like how the the torch meant it as a joke and yet Peter's getting all so moody about it. Yeah, oh, he's in a he's in a bad place. He did guess. Yeah. He is moody, isn't he? Yes. He is. He's miserable sometimes. He just made a big deal out of this as well. God, I humiliated myself in front of all the press and God. Yeah, well it is like I'll get him back for this. Would have like, been more in character. No one knows he's Spider Man. No one knows who Bagman is. Exactly. So it's not that much big of a deal. People have forgotten him by tomorrow. Yeah, it's not like he's been humiliated in the sense that everyone saw that it was Peter Parker. Yeah. You're absolutely right. No one even knows it was Spider Man. He's, he's not like the, the torch gave him a Spider-Man mask and sent him on his way in his <laughs> undercrackers. <laughs> With his camera. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although the shot of him walking alone on the rooftop cornice has been done many times, from Ditko to Ramita Jr. But yeah, DeFalco did layer the angst mm. a little bit too much in places. That being said, it is a really rather excellent conclusion to the, um, the black costume saga as was. It's difficult to think that nowadays this would have been 12 issues or more probably but here it's wrapped up in 6 issues and even then it's only really the focus of 2 of them yeah well I maybe I've just been ruined by big events and such but I did think that it was just a bit lacking anticlimactic yeah See, I he just shows up to the Baxter building and Reed says it's it's bad for you take it off and he does and he's fine Um, yeah I can see how you would think that now um you know, I thought this was funny and action-packed and wrapped it all up well. And the FF cameo enhanced yeah. the shared universe thing. But it is very low-key by today's standards. Mm. You're absolutely right. And for all intents and purposes, that's the end of the story. Yeah. I don't know that they really had any plan to bring the costume back at this point. It was gone for good. They thought this was going to be a massive flop. Mm. And like I said last week, Shooter was like, write it out in Amazing Spider-Man 253. 
Yeah. And DeFalco was like, well, we can't really do that. I guess it works in that way, then. Yeah, and it was him who argued, we have to keep it around at least for six months. Yeah. So that we can find out how he got the costume in Secret Wars, and then I'll write it out. So Shooter kind of went to war, I don't know. And then it ended up being a big hit, mm. which kind of left them kind of scrabbling at the wall a little bit. But, it, you know, it was good. Uh, newer trades for this issue have everything in it, including the Peter Parker and Marvel team-up issues. Right. But as we've mentioned as we've gone along, along sorry, they're, they're largely irrelevant and slow the story down even more. Mm. This is really all you need. Even with the Murray Jane confesses all at the end, which is a bit silly way to end this trade paperback. Yeah. They should really have ended it with the issue that we're going to cover next. Lovely listener. However, the next appearance of the black costume and a rather important development did not happen in the pages of The Amazing Spider-Man, or indeed a Spider-Man title. In issue 274 of The Fantastic Four, cover dated January 1985, one of Doctor Doom's probes accidentally pierces the container that the alien is trapped in, and it escapes into the New York night. In February 1985, an era ended with the cancellation of Marvel Team-Up, which left Spider-Man with only two new comics a month instead of three. Just as nature abhors a vacuum, comics companies abhor losing money, and in April 1985, a brand new solo Spider-Man title, Web of Spider-Man, was launched. Why this wasn't included in the graphic novel is a mystery that Columbo probably couldn't even solve. (laughs) However, we are nothing if not thorough. Web of Spider-Man issue 1 has a gorgeous painted cover by Charles Vess. As some do you picked this up new, not only was the cover a real eye-catcher, it was intriguing. Why was Spider-Man back in black? What do you think of that cover? I really like it. I really, I really like Charles Vess, though. Yeah, I like, he's done a lot of Sandman stuff, mm. hasn't he? So yeah. he, he, his contribution to Spider-Man was by and large covers and posters. I think he did one graphic novel was that Spirits of the Earth I don't know I think he did one Spider-Man graphic novel it may have been Hooky it was one of them they did two Spider-Man graphic novels at that time and I think uh, Vest did one of them but yeah it's an absolutely excellent cover isn't it mm. I like it a lot make a good post to that probably was and probably was yeah you're absolutely right Till Death Do Us Part was written by Louise Simonson with art by Greg LaRocque and Jim Mooney Peter reaches into his closet to pick up the red and blues. It's been a few weeks since that mess with the alien, but with it locked up in the Baxter building, he's got nothing to fear, right? Well, maybe, but what if the costume's not in the Baxter building? What if it's lurking in the closet? And I think for a minute I was almost becoming that song. <laughs> the midget in the closet. What was that called? I don't know. It Was it not Kanye? Kanye West? Was it? Midget in the closet. Look it up. Okay. something like that it is, it is it's spectacularly bad if it was Kanye anyway you know Peter finds out all of the answers to these questions as the alien engulfs him Peter shocked and surprised manages to find his way out of the apartment and tries to head to the Baxter building to let Reed do his sonic youth thing again but the alien fights him every step this enables a new bunch of losers the Vulturions to attack The Vulturians are ex-cons who have managed to replicate some of the Vulture's flight tech and are out on a trial. Seeing Spider-Man flailing around, one of their number 
suppresses their advantage, but even not in full control, Spider-Man manages to outmaneuver the Vulturian and uses him as a horsey, directing him towards a nearby church. Reasoning that Sonic's affect the alien, then the peal of bells currently ringing out will cause it to flee from his body, Peter stands tall in the face of alien bell ringing. The alien fights with all its might, but Peter nearly passes out due to the stress. The alien finally flees, but his relationship with Peter has affected him. It turns and pulls Peter away from the bells before tenderly stroking his cheek. Then it vanishes, never to be seen again. Well, for our purposes, yeah. it vanishes, uh, never to be seen again. It's odd that the costume should escape. And Reed Richards should make no attempt whatsoever to get in touch with Peter Parker to tell him yeah. that the costume has escaped. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you did say how it escaped, because I'm reading this going, what, why, what, really? Yeah, I would imagine in a proper trade paperback they would have to include that page from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Because it, it's, on the one hand, it's a nice piece of shared universe stuff mm. that it got away from the Baxter building in an issue of the FF. But it's pretty important but it's pretty, to Spider-Man. It's, yeah, it's very important to Spider-Man <laughs> yeah. that the costume is seen escaping. And I, I honestly don't remember if that page is replicated in an issue of Spider-Man from around this time. It may have been. Right. But I don't remember it was. I definitely know it was in an issue of the Fantastic Four where it got away. Um, I do like that the issue at least addresses that. Yeah. Well, all right. It mentions it in one line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, surely if it had escaped, read it. Tell me, right? But it doesn't actually answer the question as to why. Because surely Reed would have gone, "Oh crap, that costume's escaped." Johnny, go and do one of those four flame things. Get Spider-Man over here asap. I think we need to have a chat. Mm. Doesn't do that. Unless he just goes, "Ah, it's his, it's his problem now." <laughs> <laughs> He, he knows it doesn't like sound. He'll, he's fine. He'll figure it out. He'll be okay. Come on, Sue, let's have another baby. Because <laughs> I think that's what they were busy doing at this point. Let's hope this one doesn't have mutant psychic powers. <laughs> uh, no, it just ends up being part Doctor Doom, doesn't she? Valeria? Does she? I don't, I don't remember the, the origin of Valeria. It seems a bit convoluted. Was it her or Franklin, who's the strongest mutant ever but can't control It's Valeria, it? isn't it? Right, okay. Isn't Valeria stronger than than Franklin. Is she the one who makes Heroes Reborn? No, that's Franklin. Right, Franklin okay. makes Heroes Reborn. Because they keep turning Franklin's brain on and off Yeah. in an effort to try and get him to not be super-powered anymore. Mm-hmm. And also be like, well, how old is he now? <laughs> <laughs> is he still six or is he 12 now? Who, who can say <laughs> how old Franklin is? Franklin. Franklin. Uh, I like Louise Simonson as a writer. I really do. But the dialogue in this issue is really bad. I thought everything about it was so heavy and forced. Yeah, a good 50% of the dialogue in this issue is just exposition. Mm. It's not even funny exposition or yeah. ex- expositing the information in a way that makes you go, why are you telling me this? I know all of this. Mm. It's it's really, really bad. It's like the Vulturians just stop what they're doing to tell one another how they got the Vulture's kids. Yeah. And how they got out of jail. And what the plans are now that they're out of jail. I quite like the pigeons, though. <laughs> Is that what you're calling them? The pigeons? I thought that's what they were. I think they're supposed to be vulturians. But they, they look do like look like, like pigeons now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You know, I cannot take these villains seriously now you've I referred think, to well, them as pigeons. I think pigeons. one of them was called Pigeon, and I just thought, ah, the pigeons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? Because they look like them, though. Yeah. They do look like... Because they've got white wings. Yeah, one of them, it does say, shut up, pigeon. So it does totally work to call them <laughs> the pigeons. You're absolutely right, because pigeons are flying vermin. In New York. In New York, yeah. They're not red right. or yellow, but... Well, no. Artistic license, yeah. Yeah, artistic license, like you say. So, yeah, all right, yeah. I, well, I did want one of them to turn around and go, why are you telling me all this? I already know it. <laughs> shut up, man. Let's yeah, shut around. up, man. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was there with you when all this went down. Ah, yes. Do you remember that fateful day? <laughs> Where I monologue. <laughs> um, the art credits Laroc and Jim Mooney. Some of this looks incredibly like Vinnie Coletta to me. Right. Particularly, there's no page numbers. That page where Aunt May's shopping with Mary Jane. Oh, God. That awful, heavy scene. Yes. Oh, Aunt May, he's a photographer now. Yes, but I don't like him because he's, he's given up on science. Oh, but what if he doesn't want to do science? Well, I don't care. I'm not talking to him. <laughs> oh, why are you looking at hats? But I can't afford the hats because we don't have any money problems, but I'm looking at them anyway. I'm just shopping because <laughs> I'm a woman. Window. And that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any money to spend it on, but I'm looking at them. Go away, Mary Jane. <laughs> Could have gone shopping with Mary Jane. I don't know. Um, like Michael says, it's the the last three quarters issues are pretty okay fight scene, but it's nothing you've not seen any other time. You've seen Spider Man fight the Vulture. Yeah. Before we get to the conclusion where he hides himself in the bell tower mm. and gets the and the bells were ringing out for for Black Costume Day. <laughs> uh, Is that a thing? That's that's actually a thing. Yeah, the huh? Pogues and Kirsten McCall sang about it. Black Costume Day. Yeah, right, the okay. bells are ringing out. For Black Costume Day. <laughs> Only podcast in June will you hear a Christmas song. Where did the costume go at the end of this? It strokes I... Peter's cheek and then it disappears into a wormhole. Was it? Yeah, I didn't get Did it? Could it always do that? I thought, did it burn up? But how did it burn up? Uh, it, it's, it, is it going through a hole? But no, because he's on the floor. It's, yeah, I have no idea what happened well, here. We see some smoke, so is this it? Is it? at the end of his life now I don't know he's been away from a host for too long so he he, he felt remorse and wanted to say goodbye to Peter Parker yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's because it is like well what the ending doesn't make any sense does and it? it's not drawn very well to show us no I don't know about you but I do know that what I want to see in my comics is Peter Parker and his tighty whities doesn't the Venom one end with two buck naked guys? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really remember that, and I don't really want to. Um, it's a very mixed bag, this, isn't it? Yeah. This issue. I mean, on the one hand, it's a good conclusion to the Black Costume Saga. But it's not a very good conclusion? But... No, no, I, I mean in, in the sense that at least it's Peter who defeats it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the Amazing Spider-Man issue, essentially it's the Fantastic Four who beats Well, well it's Reed Richards. At really. least he's doing something instead of just taking it off. Yes, Peter defeats, essentially, the costume himself. Yeah. So I like it from that point of view. And I didn't quite understand that Peter was willing to kill himself and just... There is something <laughs> unintentionally hilarious, if you've read a Howard the Duck comic, right. about Bong, Bong, because okay. of Dr. Bong. Right, okay. I mean, Dr. Bong's an unintentionally funny name anyway, if you're a yeah. 
kind of person. Do you think that was on purpose, though? Uh, I don't know. So I'm, I'm not taking this seriously because the word bong, <laughs> bong just makes me think of Howard the Duck. Okay. And do you remember Dr. Bong? No. The guy with the big bell end? His, his head. <laughs> if you'll pardon the expression, and he hit, he keeps hitting it. Right. Okay. Have you ever read some? Some Howard the Duck's genuinely funny. Okay. So I just kept thinking of Doctor Bong every time I saw Bong. Um, and there is some funny bits in this. Spider-Man just leaping around and flailing around and trying to go towards the Baxter building and the costume going, no, 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 we're not going that way. But why didn't he do that the first time, then? I, I don't know, because I'm the vulture. like a dog being tricked into going to the vets. The first time, <laughs> it's more than happened. Any other time. Any other time, the minute you get that case out <laughs> yeah. to carry it to the vets, it's like, you know, no, 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 fool me once, dude. I am not getting in there again. You are not putting that code on me. Anymore. So, yeah, and it's, there's no other way around it. The plot is fine. The script is pretty bad. Mm. When the dialogue isn't expository, it's flat. Yeah. And very leaden in places. And it's... You can... Stanley gets a lot of flack for his dialogue. Flat that I think is undeserved because you can read Stan's dialogue and in some cases you underplay it and it still works. But there were times when Stan's dialogue was genuinely funny. Mm. And this, and with all due respect to Louise Simons, I mean this may have been one of her first writing gigs. I think she was doing Power Pack at this time, which I loved. Mm. I loved Power Pack. But yeah, the script to this one was just not good. Yeah. Still, you know, the ending the alien saving Peter and caressing his cheek is nice and it will haunt him for the rest of yeah, his life yeah that was unintentionally hilarious wasn't it because <laughs> yeah. it was like I don't think Peter's ever given this any thought ever again oh god why did the costume save me it gives me chills <laughs> but yeah. not only that was I know they didn't know this at the time but it won't haunt him for the rest of his life because it showed up again well this is the thing isn't it the, the whole Venom story yeah. is predicated on us completely forgetting the ending to this story. Yeah. Because the ending to this story has the costume make its peace with Peter. Mm. It saves his life, it gives him that nice little cheeky caress, and then it leaps through the wormhole <laughs> to wherever the hell it went <laughs> yeah. in an ending that made little to no sense. Yeah. But then by the time we get to Eddie Brock... The, the whole premise behind Eddie Brock is the costume has found somebody who hates Spider-Man as much as he does. And they share a mutual... And they share a mutual bond, therefore. Mm. That doesn't work at all with the ending to this. I know, but I'll be honest, I prefer the Venom. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like, if they could have made that work... Yeah. Fine, but they've never even the tried to it, explain it. It only works if you ignore this. Yeah, that only works if you ignore the fact that... The costume saves his life here. Yeah. And then does whatever it does. Burns up or <laughs> goes through a wormhole or crumbles to dust or whatever the hell happens in these last four panels. Whatever it does, it'll haunt Peter Parker. It will haunt Peter Parker. Well, Peter Parker doesn't know this happened. Yeah. He's blacked out. <laughs> what, what, what does Peter wake up after this thinking? Uh, how am I going to get home in just my underwear? <laughs> With no web shooters. That is actually an exceptionally good point. <laughs> How did Peter Parker get home here? 
Maybe that's because you're right. He's not wearing his web shooter, so he's not like he can web his face up and swing home very quickly. He's left in the middle of downtown New York. (laughs) Wearing nothing but tighty whities And he doesn't have mobile or any no, money no, for a, no. a phone. I mean, it's entirely possible he's got some money in his underpants. Unless he did a Rocky and shouted out the window. <laughs> <laughs> or he just ran home as if he was out jogging. Yeah. I don't buy that. No. If he's fast enough, no one will get a chance he's to look twice. He's not quite that fast, though, is he? I swear he could just run across roofs. Yeah, I suppose he could, yeah, but... It's still New York. He's still surrounded by skyscrapers. Somebody's gonna see it. Yeah. So yeah, that is a very good question. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that it doesn't work in the context of the overall story. I mean, you're right. They didn't know that when this was yeah. done. But you would have thought David Michelini or whoever would have at least attempted to marry the two together. Yeah. And as far as I can remember, they never did. Mm. They just went, yeah. Costume just doesn't like him. <laughs> and you're like, why not? Well, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> Don't think about it. <laughs> Am I right in assuming you didn't think much of Web of Spider-Man number one? Um, I, I didn't really. It's it's a satisfying idea. But it wasn't a satisfying story. No. It, plot-wise, it's fine. Yeah. Script-wise, it was, it was bad. It was very bad. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Louise. Uh, the Black Costume Saga is a landmark moment in not only the history of Spider-Man, but comics generally. Never before had an iconic hero like Spidey changed his look so drastically. And without this storyline, it's doubtful that Superman would have had his Brian Bartano period, nor would Batman have started updating and altering his outfit as much as he did throughout the 90s. Taken in and of itself, this is a fun little story, proof that a talented writer and artist can make something out of an idea that was purely a gimmick. This story has been adapted a number of times into other media, but largely just as an excuse to get to Venom as quickly as possible. See, as we've already mentioned, the alien would completely forget what it learned here, merge with another host, Eddie Brock, and become the insanely popular villain... Venom, and as such, the origins of the story tend to be glossed over. Producer Avi Arad pretty much demanded that Venom be a part of the 90s animated series from the get-go because he had Venom toys to sell. They changed the story to have the alien arrive on a space shuttle so as to eliminate the secret wars from the equation. In that version, the black costume starts affecting Peter's mind, altering his personality and making him unpleasant and cruel, a subplot that is not part of these comics. When adapted to the big screen in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, they streamline it further, albeit still following the cartoon plot rather than the comics, because again, they wanted to get to Venom faster over the course of one film, and in forcing Raimi down this path, Arad successfully destroyed what could have been a successful film franchise. But hey, I hope he sold a few toys. The spectacular Spider-Man cartoon series did a much more faithful adaptation, but again, rushed it just to get to Venom. You spotting a trend here? Mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, they did a much better job of it yeah. than either the 90s cartoon or the movie. Well, you know what you've uh, missed out what? and is one of my favourite retellings? What? The Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man issue. But again, didn't they do it in issue 8? Um, I don't know. They did it very early on. I think it's the third trade. So, yeah, so he... Is it his 20s? Is it that late? Are you sure? 
if if it's the third trade, you're probably in the late teens. The correct twelve in a hardback. Yes, they do. And the Venom stuff is the entire third hardback. Right, so you may be right then, so you're in the 20s. So they're yeah. still rushing to get to it. Yeah, I guess. And I presume Secret Wars is not a part of that version. No, it's Eddie Brock finds Peter because mm. the parents were working on a suit yeah. that would heal you completely. Right. So it was like a cure for cancer kind of thing. Yeah. But of course, it went wrong. Right. So with the amazing Spider-Man cycle of movies that is now no more... Yeah. With um, Peter's parents being established as working for Oscorp, do you think they were heading towards the black suit? Could be. Which, again, defeats the point of the Amazing Spider-Man reboot. If you're just going to tell the same stories that Sam Raimi told, why yeah. reboot it? That's a good point. Right, yeah, I completely forgot about the Ultimate version. You're yeah. absolutely right, though. Yeah, they did a, a pretty decent job of it. Yeah. But again, they have the benefit of hindsight, so it still strikes me as the people with the benefit of hindsight, only one of them's really got it right in external media yeah and then Bendis was able to weave it into a decent story in its own right mm. yeah alright fair enough anyway either way whichever version you like I hope we have encouraged you to check out the original as usual it's more worthwhile than the later adaptations and a little bit more interesting in seeing how it all came together yeah. purely from a standpoint of people tap dancing which is what they were doing. They were tap dancing. Yeah, you tap dancing in storytelling oh, right, right, right. as you go along. I was going to say, the Marvel officers just started tap dancing. Yeah. Um, as far as I am aware, this trade paperback that I've got, the Saga of the Alien costume, is no longer in print. And I think it's been republished now as the Ultimate Black Costume Saga. Yeah. Which, like I said, has all the Marvel team up and Peter Parker issues in. Which... I think we'll make for just a really disjointed read. Marvel team up not so much because they were done in ones. Yeah. So you could slot them in and probably it's okay. The subplot stories. Well, no, the Peter Parker is telling a big long story arc about the Black Cat and the Kingpin and the answer. So did they collect all of them? Yeah. Right, okay. You don't need them, lovely listener. You only need the issues of Amazing Spider-Man to get everything you need out of this story. And I actually encourage that to be the way you read it simply because the other stuff will just slow it down. Yeah. It works as a nice little six, seven issue narrative. Mm. Padding it out longer than that doesn't really make uh, make it a better story. Well, that's it. That's it for the Black Costume Saga. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we're going post-crisis, baby. Mm-hmm. With all this talk about rebooting the Marvel Universe following Secret Wars. We're rebooting the DC Universe. And with the end of the New 52... So is it legit ending? Yeah. Oh, no, no, it's just going to carry on, but it's not going to be called the New 52 anymore. Oh, right, okay. But it is the branding the New 52 has gone away. Right, okay. We thought we would look at the results of the original rebooting of a universe. We're going to be looking at six characters. Spider-Man. Not Spider-Man, because <laughs> he's not a DC character. He's not. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman next week. And then in part two, the Green Lantern, the Flash, and Green Arrow. Let's have a look at the new number ones. Or in Batman's case, we can't be asked doing a new number one. That's what we'll be looking at for the next two weeks. We hope you will join us. And we hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
Theatre, The Devil will find work for Idle Hands to do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.